For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Greetings to all of you. Hunker down in your respective bunkers as we're continuing to quarantine, shelter in place, or otherwise wait for baseball. We do welcome you to Tomahawk Take today. This is episode 15 of the podcast, and today one of our other contributors to the site, Seth Carter, takes over as guest host. He's had the chance for a chat with former Atlanta Brave Chase Darneau. They cover a wide range of topics together, so without further ado, here's Seth. Okay, welcome to the Tomahawk Take podcast. This is Seth Carter. I'll be hosting. Today we have a man with a unique perspective on the Atlanta Braves. Not only is he a successful musician, a filmmaker, an entrepreneur, but he taught Braves current catcher Travis Darnold everything that he knows about baseball and possibly life in general. His at-bat to stolen base ratio is six better than Jackie Robinson's. Please welcome former Atlanta Brave Chase Darnold. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. And that's a very interesting stat that I've never heard before. And to be able to come to make a comparison with Jackie Robinson, yeah. I've never heard of that stat. You know, you had good good stolen base numbers. Five, I think it was 550 total at-bats and 29 steals in the major leagues. It looked like you were good with the steals. So I found you a nice, I thought, a nice comp. I just wanted to make you comfortable and let you know that you were six better than Jackie Robinson. Man, that makes me feel good. <laughs> I, I always did take a lot of pride in stealing bases, and it was one of my favorite things to do. I saw you you did retire from baseball recently, right? Yeah, I did. I did. I retired uh, early this offseason. I made a decision to, uh, to, to go full-time with my production company that I started early 2019, end of 2018, uh, just so I could you know, spend, spend even more time with my family and, and just get the next chapter of life started. Um, I had a nice... I had a wonderful career in baseball, and I ended up playing much longer than I, I thought I ever would, yet I also ended up playing a lot less than I thought I would. I, I think that only players could relate to that, but uh, we all have these inspirations and, and goals, yet we try to be realistic at the same time um, without impeding our, our dreams and getting in the way. But uh, yeah, recently retired, and, and life is weird, not on the baseball field. What was it 12 mm-hmm. seasons? Yeah, 2008 through 2019. Wow. So, yeah, 2018, yeah. I used to teach this to kids because I used to teach a career class, and the kids would always go, what do you want to be? I want to be a pro baseball player. All of them, they want to be pro baseball players, pro basketball players. And so we started looking at the stats, and something along the lines of like 7% of all high schoolers get a shot at playing in Division One, and then uh, NCAA had it at like 98 nine and a half or 9.8 percent of those players make it to professional baseball and then like 10 percent of all minor leaguers ever touch a major league field so mm-hmm. you know just getting there is incredible but sustaining it for 12 years is it's unbelievable thank you very much yeah it was uh it was quite the journey quite the ride got to meet a lot of very interesting people and got to shake the hands of a lot of baseball legends uh being with eight organizations really gave me a unique perspective uh, you know, just because I can compare all these different 
organizations and how they run things, what their general philosophies are, what their their keys to success are. Uh, I've been with teams when they're in the rebuilding phase, and I've been with some teams when they are at the peak performance of the decade. So uh, it's it's um, it's giving me a, a perspective and a, an opportunity to be able to compare teams to each other. But have you thought about um, a career in coaching or front office or anything related to Major League Baseball? You know, I have. I have. I, I really explored that a lot last year because at, at 32, 33 years old, it, your, your body is not going to recuperate the same way that it did before when you were 20. So I started looking ahead and asking uh, people questions, mainly about structure, like the business structure of baseball outside of a uniform, right? Like what's, I already knew what life was like for a coach because I've, I've been surrounded by coaches and I've seen it with my own two eyes. But what goes on with front office staff is a little different. And the more people that I talked to, like last year I spoke with John Daniels, GM for the Rangers, for a solid hour about what it's like doing what he does. And then I spoke to a few area scouts and spoke to some professional scouts, some pro scouts, some some cross-checkers. It just seems like even in the front office, it's a big sacrifice when it comes to time with family. Like as a player, we're away from our family on the road for a week or two at a time. As a coach, it's the same thing. We're all traveling together. With the front office, I wasn't quite sure. But the more I talked to front office people, it seemed like it was just going to be a sacrifice to the family anyways. And I wanted to be able to see my kids as much as I can. I'm, I lost uh, a lot of opportunities to to see my son Jagger do some firsts. For instance, like his first steps when he first started crawling. Solids, when he first started eating solids. Like It's, it's fun to be there when things like that start. And I felt like I was really missing out sometimes when I was on the road. I think it's nice for you to be able to have have an option right now. You know, maybe when you hung up the cleats, you you were like Tom Hanks at the end of Castaway, and you're like, well, I can just go whichever way I want right now. And you know, <laughs> that's a nice opportunity because I remember a time I can relate to that, but not because I was good, at, you know, a baseball player, but like working in oil field construction and stuff. And when my kid was six months old, and you literally would be gone before they would wake up and then come home after they were asleep and it'd be like, you'd see him every Sunday and go, Whoa, that's my kid. Yeah. yeah. So I and get that. They grow. they grow fast. Yeah. We, we learn like as a children, especially like the younger you are, you have so many mirror neurons just firing in your brain, right? Like what you see is what you become. What you hear is what you become, what, what you consume. So if I'm not around my kid during these years and I'm gone for weeks at a time, who is he watching and who is he going to be more like instead of like his old man? And it was that thought and that question that I asked myself that really made me question whether or not I wanted to be on the road for two weeks at a time. So I, I, I'm really passionate about videography, production, music, telling stories mainly. In essence, I, I view myself as a storyteller. I like sharing stories that provide insight and perspective uh, that'll provide value as well. So this just seemed like the natural next step for me with my skill stack and my network. So now I'm, I'm trying to gather as much content as I can that is meaningful uh, and, and inspirational, motivational for, for athletes and anybody involved in the game right now. And I want to get into that in a minute, the Journeyman series. And it's an amazing series. I checked it out. We'll get into that in just a second. I want to talk about a little bit about the Braves. You hit 20% of your career major league home runs as an Atlanta Brave. <laughs> And, 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 uh, you know, for me, the be one of the best feelings 
is is being able to hit a ball with the sweet spot of a wooden bat and and I'm just some Joe Schmo who, you know, we like to get on the field and have some fun. Could you I watched your first home run July 1st, 2016. What was that like to hit your first major league home run? I know you hit over 60 professional home runs. You got paid to hit like 68 or something like that in total, but that first one on a major league ball field, what was that like? It was a long time coming. You know, it didn't mm-hmm. come until my Gosh, fifth year after getting called up initially, I, I didn't really get a lot of chances to play for you know, spans of time where I'd play every single day. You know, um, it, it, it had taken so long and I had so many close calls, like balls hit off the top of the wall, ground rule doubles, balls cocked near the wall. But when when I finally got my first big league home run in 2016, uh, I, I remember rounding first base thinking like, finally. Here we go. <laughs> Rounding the bases like this is what I'm talking about. Uh, this is life was great. I was feeling amazing because it, it came it came five years after my mm-hmm. first debut. My my well, you only get one major league debut, but five years after my debut. So I remember uh, crossing home plate and high five and snicker and a couple coaches and then all the players were ignoring me. <laughs> They're giving. Yeah, me I saw that. Treatment. In endurance yeah. yard, I got more high fives than you did. Yeah, they they gave me the silent treatment, and that was great. Like I'm glad they did because it made it even more memorable. And I have that video. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, sure enough, like after I grabbed some water, Frenchie came and tackled me. Then all the rest of the guys came and and dabbed me up. So it was. Uh, I'll never forget that moment. I'm glad. I'm glad it's on video. That's cool. So when you first hit it, then it wasn't like music was playing and it was magical. You were like looking at the ball, talking trash, going, you know what? You owed me that. Yeah, I'd gotten into a lot of balls at that point in time and had gotten let down. Like there are some times when you just really scorch a ball and you might be at the wrong park at the wrong time where it might be mm-hmm. 420 to left center, like at PNC. <laughs> but, um, I hit it and ran out of the box pretty hard just to leg out a triple if need be. And it ended up going deeper than I thought. And I gave it a little fist pump and then went on my merry way around the bases. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, what do you think about um, – have you ever thought about maybe baseball should have like a regulation size field like every other sport? Or do you love do you love the unique attributes of every park? I'd rather it be the same everywhere. I, I guess that's, that's just me. And I'm, I'm coming from a player standpoint. As a fan, I would want it to be different. I want everything to be unique. But as a player, you really – benefit a lot from uh from the what your surroundings are like the the dimensions of a field will greatly impact your offensive careers like for instance let's see who's somebody that went from a so-so hitting park to a very hitter-friendly park okay take christian yelich he's an amazing hitter and he was already hitting home runs with the marlins but i can tell you from a player's point of view the milwaukee Brewers stadium is one of the most hitter-friendly parks out there as well as the Reds and any other most most domes are. Uh, I know that Marlins hitting a dome. The Marlins uh, Park is a is a dome, but for, for the most part, I'd, I'd say a third of the league is hitter friendly, and then another third is fair, and then the last third is uh, pitcher friendly and tough to hit out. But when you, when you have those kind of dimensions as a, as a player, it's it's great because all those barely missed opportunities of home runs that that somebody might hit at Turner are going to be 20 rows back in another stadium. And then they, you, you end up making more money because you have more home runs. So as a player, you just have to get lucky, right? Be with the right team at the right time and hit enough deep fly balls to go out. 
But so I, I guess to, to answer your question, uh, as a player, I wish that they were all the same. I wish that left field, right field, I wish that the dimensions were equal and left and right so that lefties or righties didn't have an advantage. Um, I just, that, that would be my ideal situation, but that's just not the way it is. And that's fine with me. I'm a little split on it too, you know, because I, you love the charm of each park and all that stuff. But then I, I like the, like, I was just, we were going over Evan Longoria and you wouldn't need all these expected slugging and all these ex, you know, these advanced statistics to that people don't want to pay attention to, you know, they don't have enough time in their lives to, to study all these things. And I, I, I don't know how much these type of numbers come into play like in contract negotiations, but you know, like Evan Longoria though, his numbers don't look the same in San Francisco. Um, of course your power numbers seem to skyrocket while you were there, but his ex sluggish. I made serious adjustments to my swing before the 2018 season. I wish I started sooner, but you know, I just didn't know. I hadn't been exposed to that yet. You know, I, I was, I was the product of a generation of coaches that were saying, don't try to hit home runs, hit the ball on the ground because you run a three, nine to first base. You know, even though I was six, two running quickly with a lot of quick twitch muscles, I, I wasn't, nobody was telling me to work on hitting home runs. So I didn't. And then in 2017, when I was with the Padres, that whole staff saw the potential within me and the explosiveness and, and strength. And they said, you should really look into, to working with somebody that knows uh, how to help you reach your potential from mm. a physical standpoint. And so I did and went into 2018 with complete faith in what I'd worked on that off season and stuck with it and ended up having one of my best offensive seasons ever. Who's your favorite player on the current Braves roster right now? My brother. Uh, really? <laughs> yeah, man. He's been my favorite player since we were in Little League. I saw Travis putting home runs out to right center on a consistent basis as a nine-year-old. I've never seen other nine-year-olds drop bombs like that to right center. Most wow. kids that age are just trying to pull it. So, yeah, I've always been a big fan of Travis. And I like it because I know that as an older sibling, and he's told me this, like, yeah, I pushed him to become better. And, and he got to play with me and my friends that were a little older. But just seeing how good he was just pushed me as well. So once once he signed and just seeing what what he's able to do with the bat like when he's healthy is just amazing. But yeah, my favorite player is Travis, and uh, you know, a close second to that, I, I'm a really big fan of. Uh, I like seeing Ozzy Albies and Acuna mess around with each other. Uh, Freddie Freeman obviously is amazing. The dude just rakes, and he's 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 a brick house. When I was at the Braves, we were playing in Arizona. And I'll never forget seeing Freddie go for a ball in foul territory. And there's about a nine foot drop from the field all the way down to the bottom. If you fall over the railing, which he did, and he fell on his seats mm. and everybody, the, the stadium went quiet, went silent and everybody was worried. And Freddie slowly got up and brushed it off. And next thing you know, he's running back on the field and the coaches were telling him, just get out. I think we were at the time when I've been losing, by quite a bit that game, um, unfortunately. And so the, the coaches wanted to just get him checked out because it was such a big fall, but Freddie refused to, to leave the game. And I've also seen him really sick before and not feeling that great, thrown up before a game and insist on playing. I think he, he really takes pride in being there for every game and being on the field. And I always really remind, uh, admired that quality about him. He's uh, He really loves the game and he's passionate about it. And, and uh, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a good leader. 
the difference between Freddie Freeman and a guy like me who's I fell down this going up the stairs once didn't even fall down the stairs just kind of hit the one stair that was there you know mm. <laughs> and and hit my knee pretty hard and I was like yeah I don't think I can get up and do the dishes uh, for maybe two days <laughs> my back's hurting you know and, uh, I mentioned Ozzy Albies earlier so my first spring training with the Braves I met I met Ozzy right he was sitting next to me uh while we were both reserves for a spring training game and I got to talk to him, get to know him. His English is great. The guy's from Curacao, different country. He's so charismatic and it seems like he just really cares about making sure that everybody around him is a good person. Like he believes in being a good person first. And I really admire that about him. And from that point on, even before I got to see him play, I was rooting for him because uh, I knew that, that he's the kind of person that would bring a team together so the fact that he's fluent in English and Spanish and he's a nice young player, I think that he's going to he, – he's uh, – I'll bet you in that clubhouse now, he's he's one of the dudes that just lifts everybody up. That was going to bring me to my next question. There is no stat that measures like a clubhouse leader, you know, those clubhouse guys. And I, that's what I wanted to ask was like how important are those? You know, I know that a lot of the stats, you know, so we get so focused on stats that as fans sometimes maybe we don't – take that into consideration. And, and then uh, you just named one, but I was going to ask you if there were any that stuck out on this Braves team um, as far as just clubhouse leaders, guys that bring up the morale like that. So that's really cool to hear that about Ozzy Albies. Yeah. Ozzy's Ozzy's amazing. And the amount of power that he produces with his uh, body type is amazing. Right. Yeah. He's hitter. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I, I, I've really enjoyed watching him. Um, um, blossom into the player that he's become and I hope that he remains healthy and has an amazing season this team that they have is is very talented um, you talked about team chemistry and having guys whose roles are, are sometimes mainly to be clubhouse guys and to bring everybody up um, I think it's important to have guys like that on a team and in fact a lot of teams will will take on a player whose numbers might not be quite as good as somebody else if, if they know that the value they bring in the clubhouse is invaluable. Like, um, for instance, gosh, who who's a guy that I really loved being in the clubhouse with? Like, you know, Frenchie, for instance, right? Like Frenchie, Braves guy, dominated, um, especially his younger years. And then when he came back to the Braves, um, I know that his his performance wasn't up to up to the standard that he uh, where it once was when he and I were teammates. But you could just tell that he just brought everybody up around him. Like it's hard not to be happy around Frenchie because he's going to, he's, he's outspoken. He's going to lead a conversation. He's very positive. He likes to joke around. He doesn't take things too far. He's sensitive to other people's feelings. Uh, one thing I never really liked is seeing younger kids get bullied in clubhouses by older players. You need those younger players to do well. It's a, you have to have a healthy mix, a healthy balance in, in the big leagues to have success in my opinion, because there's so many young players that are very talented and older players that are there to lead, right? To show them the way you need those younger players to do well. So if you have some older guys that are giving the younger players a hard time, keeping them from being able to feel comfortable on the field, then you're not going to get the same kind of performance that you would if they were feeling comfortable and felt like they belonged there and that everybody wanted them there. Man, that's, that's great insight. That's awesome. I appreciate that.
So when I asked you who your favorite player was, I mean, I kind of thought you were going to say Travis for some reason, but I saw him in an interview. He said this in the interview that you spoke very highly of your time in the Braves organization. Thank you for that, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. I was curious, maybe what sort of things did you tell him um, about playing in Atlanta or what to expect in Atlanta? I told Trav that it's one of the most family-oriented organizations I'd ever been with. Like while I was there, everybody was very mindful of, of people's situations with their families. <clears throat> and that's really important to me, especially as a father now. Uh, you know, in, in, in the big leagues, you have a lot of players that are older and have more time and family's important to them. They're, they're fathers. So teams that are accommodating in that respect, uh, it, it goes a long way. Uh, that was the main thing that I told him. Like, sure, I got excited. You know, when he when he signed with the Braves, I was like, wow, you're going to be with all these guys that I played with, all of these coaches and staff members. It's going to be very interesting um, hearing your take on things when you when you play with them and get to know all the guys. But he was asking me some questions, and that was the main thing that I kept repeating over and over. Like, super family oriented and just full full of great people. That's cool, man. I know. I know. Uh, I moved. I actually moved to near near Tampa in, in Bradenton uh, last year. So I got here like halfway through the season, and they. I'm telling you, the fans were not happy when he left when he signed with the Braves here in Tampa. They were not happy about. Oh him. yeah, they loved him. Yeah, uh, he did, he did really well for him. He did great for Tampa, but. Yeah, Tampa. Tampa is a. Uh, they're one of those teams like they, they got trapped at the perfect time. I mean, they, they only had to pay him league minimum, right? Because the, I think, I believe that the Mets were paying the remainder of his contract for that year. And, and just through all of the trades that have happened, all the transactions, the, the Rays got him for cheap. And, and uh, you know, they're, they're just not a high budget team. They don't have as much money to work with. So I think Travis played his way out of contention to, to be with the Rays. Yeah, but everybody's really happy he was here for that year, and you know it's nice. I'm personally, I'm if he left here, I'm glad to see him go to the Braves. So I want to get to the music now. The music it seems like it's been probably something that you've done your entire life, and additionally, I, I, I saw you open for Lady Antebellum while you were still playing ball. So tell us a little bit about your music career. My music career was not long. Uh, it's over. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, here's the thing. So, yeah, I did music a lot growing up. I was in bands all through middle school and high school. And uh, some of that had to be put at bay during professional baseball. Like, playing pro ball is so time-consuming, and you love it. You have to love it to succeed. Um, I, didn't, I didn't have time for it. So to be able to be in a band and perform during a major league season is the craziest thing that I've ever done. And, but I just looked at it like as long as I made sure that baseball was first priority, um, then everything would be okay. Right. Cause like we leave the field and all of us do what we do at the time I was, I, I, I wasn't married, didn't have any kids. It was like so whirlwind of an experience, but I learned quickly after that, after the 2016 season, we went on a mini tour and I quickly realized how time consuming music is as well. But I mean, you always hear that athletes want to be musicians and know what that's like to be a, a rock star and, and musicians want to know what it's like to be an athlete. Well, they're very similar in a sense that you have to travel a lot. And in the music circuit, you're traveling just as much as baseball, if not more sometimes. It depends what genre you're in. So I had my first son 
and made the, an easy decision to back off of the music so that I could spend more time with uh, my family and more time on baseball. And if, if I were to start doing music right now, it would just open up a whole other can of worms to travel or time away from my kids. So, okay, so you're not going on tour or anything. You still you still get together and play, and it's, is it still a big part of your life? No, I just play for my kids. Music is, I play, I play the guitar every single day, and I sing for my kids just about every day. You could ask my wife, and it might even annoy her sometimes. <laughs> but but I, 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 play for, I play for my kids more than anybody else. If you haven't heard Chase Darno play music, the Chase Darno band is still on Apple Music, and you can check him out on YouTube. He's got a single out. Uh, man, I, I checked it out, you know, and I didn't. I did more than check it. I downloaded it. I, I was listening to it. That Walk Away cover you did was awesome. I can't believe you're. Yeah, I th- you'll get back to it. I think you, you're really good, man. You got. I like that Walk Away cover too. Oh yeah, but I mean, in your originals, that's why I. I that's why I asked you. You know, if you wrote your own songs, because. You are a very good singer, but there's a difference between listening to a singer-songwriter, and and it doesn't matter how good they sing. They could be great. They could be not that great, uh, technically speaking. But you go, man, that is there is just something like real about that. And usually it's because the relationship with the lyrics and with the song itself that because they wrote it. That's why I was curious because you know I was getting that vibe from from some of your songs. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm just glad people like it. I remember speaking to somebody at the Bonner Music Festival while we were there, and it was this comedian, right? Like he was a full-time comedian, did stuff in the entertainment industry, and not many people knew he did music, but he ended up getting into it. And I remember asking him um, about their music, and he just kept repeating, "You see, I'm really glad that people liked it because you do it just for fun, right? Mm-hmm. Like everybody has their own unique, innate style, and that can evolve over time as they grow and work with other musicians to collaborate." But there's always going to be that thing, that that thread that's pulled throughout a musician's career. And, and for you to say that makes me feel really good. So thank you. And I'm I'm glad that you liked it. Yeah, definitely. I was jamming when I texted you that. So who are your influences then? For that album, we wanted to try to mimic the tempo uh, of the songs in the uh, Rolling Stones album. So the album, Let It Bleed, we, we wanted to try to mimic the tempo of each song. For that album and, and go for that old school kind of feel but mix that with modern country americana and rock all in one <laughs> and uh it was a lot of fun making the album so my musical influences growing up i listened to a lot of different genres because you know my mom was singing opera she was having us sing opera in the car with her i played the violin for uh gosh three for 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 six years third grade all the way through eighth grade in mm-hmm. high school, I had to back off of that because of baseball. But I really liked punk rock, rock. I loved R&B, like hip hop. Um, I, I like every genre for what they are. I was talking to somebody recently about hip hop music. And how somebody liked hip hop music, but didn't like a lot of the lyrics that they would, that you'd hear, right? Because sometimes it can be kind of vulgar and yeah. not so wholesome. But that's just a part of it. But I there's think, an art. there's an art to it, though. There is, yeah. There's there's rhythm. There's some stylistic things that you'll hear, but for for the most part, if you could find some Christian hip hop artists uh, that will not swear, but it's just a part of the culture and and what the music comes off as. So, uh, I, I guess it really does reflect my tolerance in general for people. Like I I enjoy having all different types of friends. Um, the more eccentric, the more interesting to me 
So it's it's this no um, it should be no surprise that I, I do enjoy a lot of different genres. But it, it, I love Blink One Eighty Two growing up. I, I, anything popular on MTV in the two thousands, I was into. So I get what you're saying though about being open to. I think that's awesome too because a lot of people are stuck to a genre, then they defend it and they're like, "This is it. This is what what music is." And yeah. I used to be kind of a music snob because when I started, you know, when I was younger, I played in a blues band and I was, you know, oh, well, you know, this is music and that's not music. And um, being married for as long as I have, uh, my wife is more open minded than me, and she she's you know helped me just calm down and listen to and. Like I like Taylor Swift now. I mean, I like. Uh, I remember having a conversation with friends in a garage, and they were making fun of Justin Bieber. And I was like, you know, you guys think I'm all right when I play. If Justin Bieber were sitting in this garage playing guitar and singing right now, your jaws would be on that concrete. Like, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been listening to because I'm just mainly playing with my acoustic guitar and just myself. Uh, I'm listening to some singer songwriters like Jason Isbell, Ray Lamontagne. City and Color. I'm big fans of those guys. Like if I'm gonna write um, a song, a lot of the times, like what gets me in the mood to start writing and singing is listening to Jason Isbell, um, Ray LaMontagne, and and um, gosh, I'm trying to think. Uh, I like Damien Rice a lot too. But that that kind of stuff, I, I really enjoy that. And that stuff inspires me. And the messages are always really great, and and it, and it moves me. I mean, that's that's what that's like if 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 something moves you, then it's art. And if I don't, if I go a long time without listening to music and don't realize it, I find myself in kind of a depressed mood. I really enjoy music and I use it as a tool to lift me up. And so you still write then? Yeah, I, I, I still write. I still write and log things away. Like if I'm feeling inspired, I'll start a song and then, and then put it away. It's kind of slowly building up a ghost catalog. <laughs> but most of them are half-written songs about my son. Like this morning, my son was playing with his excavator, this big old excavator that he has. And I started writing this song based off of a chord progression from a Weezer song, like Beverly Hills. Mm -hmm. You know, like Beverly Hills is like, it's like this, like. Right, and he's like, he's like. Where I come from, I'm just messing around with the lyrics, changing them to excavator-based stuff. Like it's nothing serious. It's probably songs that like, yeah, like Blippy would play. What you got going on now? The Journeyman series, uh, your production company. Tell me a little bit about that. How can we, how can we consume your content? Uh, all my stuff could be found on on YouTube. For the most part, I have my own personal YouTube page just to and it, just to just to mainly serve as a resume. So if somebody wants to see uh, the quality of my work and the the spectrum of like just my, my capabilities, what I'm able to do, they could go on YouTube and look up the Journeyman series, and they can look up Chase Darno personal YouTube page. Uh, the Journeyman series is about it. It just gives a player's perspective uh, when you have content that is is created by an athlete as he's interviewing players, you're going to get a different perspective because when the players are talking to the camera, they're really talking to me. And I'm a guy that that's played at every level and I've been around the game for a long time. So you're going to get a, the, a side of the player that you don't normally see because typically after a game or during a game, players are interviewed by, by somebody that, that might not have played, right? Somebody they don't know that they're not comfortable with and they teach us all to be really tight-lipped. Um, I always want to make sure that I make 
the players that uh, that I put on in my content look good, but I also want the content to be significant and meaningful, impactful, inspiring, motivational. So I ask serious questions. And one thing I really like to focus on is how athletes overcome adversity. I like, I like getting, I like talking about things that uh, I, I like getting athletes sharing stories uh, that, you know, put them in a vulnerable spot. Um, and, and cause I think it shows strength, especially when it comes to how they overcame that struggle. I watched uh, several of those journeyman series and um, the last one I saw was like Chris Archer and Jack Flaherty and, and it was, it just seemed genuine. And it was just like a peek behind the curtain that you fans just don't get. So it was really, it's a really cool series and you've been doing it for a while. There's a lot of content out there. So I do encourage everybody to go check that out. Um, if you want to peek behind the curtain, a lot of it is like, some of the training they do and you want to see see what what all goes into being a major league ball player it's a lot more than showing up and playing a baseball game yeah i had a couple people when i first told them that i was going to be filming jack flaherty archer and kevin pillar ryan healy for a week week or two at their where they train and micing them all up they're like that's been done before they've been videos of guys training and nobody wants to hear them i'm like they're not mic'd up the whole time. We're not really getting to hear that player trainer dynamic. Usually they're getting questions asked and it's just B-roll, but these guys are talking about their hopes and dreams while they're working out, while they're working to put in, they're putting in that work right now so that they have that great season. And like, what are they thinking about while they're working out? What were their hopes and dreams as a kid compared to what they are now? How do their goals change? Uh, those are the kind of questions that I ask them while I'm, while I'm uh, working out with them with the camera. Yeah, it's it's a really cool series. So please, everybody, check that out. And uh, and then, what else do you, do you have going with your production company? You mentioned production company. So, is, do you have any other projects uh, you're working on that we should be looking for in the future? Um, ones that I haven't signed an NDA for that I could talk about. Uh, <laughs> let's see. A, a lot of my best work, uh, I can't talk about. Like, uh, yeah, when you're when you're producing work. For companies like car companies, for instance, they have you sign an NDA and it might be some of your best work because the budget was really big. But once you sign an NDA that says you can't use anything for real, nothing, then you really can't talk about it. But, and no one no one will ever know you did it? Yeah, exactly. Right. Except my wife and kids. But um, I, yeah, I, I've, I've been working with some artists recently. Uh, and baseball players like that's that's my niche right now somebody gave me the advice to to do what you know mm. right what i know yeah. is baseball and that's that's the bulk of my network uh, i'm it's it's i have a growing network here in la and there are a lot of different artists and entertainers out here so plenty of opportunities when it comes to shooting and editing and storytelling but for the first year i really wanted to contribute to the game of baseball by providing them a player's perspective like a true player's perspective, like not something that, not something you see it on, on MLB all the time, right? You see a couple ex big leaguers talking to a big leaguer and then somebody edits it that didn't play baseball. But when, when somebody shoots it, edits it and tells a story themselves, it just comes out a little differently. It's kind of like that. Song, right? what it, yeah. Like they, you, I know what it feels like to play. I didn't make this just for fans. Like I'm making this for baseball players to, to get value out of it like that's that's what i think about i'm not necessarily making this for fans even though baseball fans will enjoy seeing it because it is unique and they're seeing a different side of the players that is very authentic and genuine my goal is create content that players see value in 
that will motivate them to think, wow. So like, that's what goes on in Kevin Pillar's head of what he's hitting. So that's what Jack Flaherty is like when you hold the camera on him for three minutes while he's working out. Podcasts are really, really powerful. I love the Joe Rogan podcast because you could see and feel the essence of somebody after seeing them talk with Joe Rogan for two hours. When I got to see Kevin Hart and Elon Musk back to back, talk to Joe Rogan, I was sold on the whole podcast idea just because you could see how the guy breathes, how he thinks, how he waits to talk. He hears something, digests the question, might laugh a little bit and give his little quirky laugh as a, <laughs> and then deliver his response. I like being able to see those little mannerisms and behaviors within these extraordinary people that get a feel for their work ethic and what they're really like in person. So my work tends to be quite raw intentionally. A lot of storytellers that I've spoken to, uh, they, they like my more produced work with cleaner transitions and all of that. I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to turn the journeyman series into something that's a little more raw with less less time focused on transitions just because I only have a certain amount of time to edit this stuff and I'm, I'm doing it for baseball players. Like I'm not making money off the journeyman series. It's, it's, this is for players to see and for fans. Um, but there, there are some raw moments in there where you really get a feel for what somebody's really like, and you can see some qualities that they have that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to see. Does that make sense? Makes total sense. It does. And, and your whole, your perspective as, you know, you have such a unique perspective because you're, you're skilled with filmmaking, you're a skilled storyteller, songwriter, all that stuff too. But you were a baseball player, you are a baseball player, you'll always be one. And like I said, it's like writing a song, you know, if you're writing about a real raw experience, um, that comes through in the final product. And so you, you're bringing a finished touch to this product that not many people are going to have the skill set or the resume to bring. And you can see it. It's just, it is different. And I actually, I look forward to seeing some of the raw stuff and more raw footage because it feels more real, you know? Yeah, I'm trying. I'm still learning my way, but uh, I'm, I'm not putting too much focus on, uh, like I said, on, on the editing side. I'm having to back off of it a little bit because I only have a limited amount of time during the week. It's, uh, it's hard to justify spending three days working on a piece where I'm not going to make any money to provide. For my family, like I, I may have played baseball for a long time, but I didn't, I didn't have a uh, Cal Ripken or Mike Trout type of career. You know, there are a lot of ups and downs in, in my career. I look back and think of all the highs, but if someone were to look back and, and really look at my path, they'll see a lot of up and downness when it comes to major leagues and the minor leagues. So I, I really need to make sure that I'm, I'm focusing on work that I get compensated for. So unless I find uh, a sponsor or a partner for the Journeyman series, I'm going to have to back off of the production quality a little bit. Uh, hopefully you'll find one of those, but it sounds like you've got a lot of, a lot of projects going right now and, uh, and I know your time is limited. And so we thank you greatly and deeply for spending some time with us today giving us some insight uh into your time with the braves and in major league baseball and uh everything going on it, one of the most interesting people maybe on the planet chase Darno. thank you very much you're too nice thanks man appreciate it so thanks for thanks for having me here on tomahawk take uh it's nice to to reminisce and think about uh, my time with the braves i that was that was um those were those were my some of my best years 
right there with the Braves. I had so much fun with that organization. I'm looking at the roster right now and seeing names pop up like Will Smith, who I played with with the Giants. He's with the Braves now, and I'm sure he's ecstatic about that because I know the Braves was his team coming up. Um, let's see who else we have here. Oh, how could I have forgotten about um, uh, Nick Markagas? He's <laughs> Nick is so soft spoken, but so funny. He's he's I loved getting to know Nick um, over time with the Braves. That awesome. is. Really that's, my son, that's my son's favorite player, Nick Marquez. Yeah, Nick Marquez. He's so talented. And Adam Duvall with the team. Gosh, this team is stacked. Austin Riley, Dansby Swanson. Like, Dansby has really come into his own. I was really happy to see him to really come alive the last couple of years. Like, he's done really well. Mm-hmm. Echevarria is an amazing infielder, and he can hit a little bit. Fred Freeman, Camargo. Gosh, this team is loaded. Good these oh, it is. I mean, when you have – if you've looked at that outfield situation, it is – I mean, other teams would kill to have that. Wondering who you, who are you going to play between Acuna, Ender Enciarte, Marcelo Zuna, oh, Nick Marquez, Adam Duvall, and then you got the two guys in the minor leagues coming up. Um, there's it is stacked. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, it'd have been uh, interesting to see what was going to happen at the end of spring training. Like now with the, I'm looking at this right now, and just just from my experience, like I'm not a GM by any means, but I think that there are too many talented outfielders there uh, for any of them not to be in the big league. So the Braves might've had to let go of one of them, two of them. Jeez. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. These are dudes. I mean, Ronald Acuna needs a play somewhere. Adam Duvall deserves a play somewhere. Ender deserves a play somewhere. Marquecas, Osuna, right? Like these guys have had some serious success. You know what? As a fan, if, if they're going to go with like Marquecas and uh, Duvall um, rotating in and out and coming in, in key spots, or maybe Enciarte switching out, wow right like like yeah. if you if you've got a rotation of all those gold gloves between Marquecas and Andrew Enciarte and Adam Duvall you know all those bats all three of them I mean that's incredible mm-hmm. Austin yeah. Riley he's they're 23 God, he, he's 23 20 he's young I was, he's I was born in 87 I'm 33 he was born in 97 oh my goodness <laughs> I didn't know he was that young he's he's had an amazing season uh, he, he's had an amazing career so far. I thought he was older than that. Do you feel old, born in 87? I started feeling older when I saw birthdays popping up around like Austin's. Like when I saw, wow, that guy was born in 95. Like this guy that's hitting right now. Oh, this guy hitting was born in 96. That's interesting. Like, and, and you know, then my age pops up. And then towards the end of my career on a couple AAA teams I was on, I was the oldest on the team. It's an interesting position to be in. And, and I liked it. I embraced it. I know that my first AAA experience was uh, – my AAA experience could have been a lot better than it was only because there was some bitterness with the older guys, and that usually happens with every AAA team. You have some guys that may have played in the big leagues, whether for a week or four years. They may feel like they don't deserve to be there, and they feel sorry for themselves. And then that that bitterness that creeps in affects the younger players who are experiencing AAA and are on their road to the big leagues for the first time. And I never liked seeing that and I didn't like the way it made me feel. So I always made sure to be one of those guys, um, a leader, if you will, in, in AAA that, that just monitored thing and make, made sure that the younger guys were, were uh, feeling welcome and comfortable at all points in time. But I also, I also made sure that the older guys were in good spirits so that they could perform well. If the older guys aren't feeling well and they're feeling bitter, they're not going to be helping themselves out or anybody else around them. Like if they really want a shot to get back up to the big leagues, 
to, to get another opportunity, they need to turn it around and let go of any bitterness and just focus on what they need to and find that hunger that they had before they got called up the first time. His next career, Chase Darno, motivational speaker, because you can apply that to anything in life. You know, you go through a bad, a bad stretch in, at work, if you're in sales or whatever relationships, whatever it is, you, you got to stay positive and work to improve. The, yeah. You wallow in your, mm-hmm. and you feel sad and sorry for yourself. Then the only thing you're going to do is drown in your own tears and make it worse. Yeah. It happens to the best of us. And it's just a matter of like catching yourself feeling it that way. Cause it's, it's easy to go a day, a week, a month, a whole year, decade, feeling sorry for yourself and not even knowing because somebody didn't call you out. Like sometimes you need somebody to help you realize that, that, Hey man, you're feeling sorry for yourself right now. And I know you don't like hearing this, but you kind of are, and it's affecting other people negatively and you're not doing yourself any favors because you don't know how it's coming off. A lot of times you just don't realize it, but um, it's all about how you frame things. And, and that advice that, that came to me after my 2013 season, I had to pay for it. Like I literally had to pay for it. I worked with Ken Revisa after my 2013 season and he helped, uh, he helped my outlook of baseball on baseball change. He helped me reframe the way I looked at things. Um, I became a lot more process oriented. Only good came of it. My, my, my career just went up from there after I started focusing on the mental game a little more. So I'm, I'm really passionate about that side of the game. I'm sure, I'm sure all the things you learned about that, the, the processing and the, the mental aspect is going to translate to your post-baseball career too. I'm sure you're going to be very successful. Uh, it, seems like, uh, it seems like you're destined for success. So again, we, we thank you very much for your time and it was good having you. It's good talking to you. Appreciate it, mate. Thanks, Seth. And um, yeah, anytime. Man, this is great. Thank you for having me and have a great day. I'll throw in my thanks as well to both Seth Carter for that interview and especially to Chase Darno for giving us that time. Thanks, guys. But that will wrap this 2020 edition of the Tomahawk Take podcast, which is a production of TomahawkTake.com and Fansided LLC. Opinions expressed on the show today are strictly those of the participants, all rights reserved. Music used today comes to you under the auspices of the Creative Commons license, terms of which are available at creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 4.0 and features selections by Kevin McLeod entitled Groundwork, Whiskey on the Mississippi, Feeling Good, and Amazing Plan. His works are featured at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Thanks for listening today, and may all of your stats stack up well against Jackie Robinson, too. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.